was always just a chronic search for the unknown and just being curious. And so I think that, you know, our tagline with Institute of Motion has always been stay curious because I think that's where we as human beings do our best is when we ask questions and we seek. I truly believe that seeking through movement is our best way of actually learning. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. everyone. Today on the podcast, I've brought on John Sinclair as our guest. I had the pleasure of meeting John for the first time three years ago when I attended my first mentorship with Institute of Motion, a company and an organization that focuses on better health practices for personal trainers, fitness professionals, and other coaches in the health and wellness industry. John is a particularly impassioned and intelligent individual. He is so singularly focused on trying to create maximum efficiency, longevity, and performance with everyone he works with. And we had a really fun conversation today, digging deep into all the elements of movement that inspire us, that motivate us, and how we share that with other people. Perhaps the most prominent factors of our conversation were the importance of just moving to move and how relevant it is in allowing your body the adaptability and versatility it needs to stay resilient and be able to work well for you over the length of your lifetime. We also discussed the importance of having an authentic connection to your movement practices and letting your intuition be a guiding factor when it comes to making decisions around how you move and what practices you're choosing. And then finally, we also talked about some of the gaps that are happening within the fitness industry at large relative to what it is that people actually need. And John discussed a lot of what he does within his different entrepreneurial ventures to help mitigate those gaps and to be uh, providing even more support for people in that fashion. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did recording it. I really loved that John took so much time to be so authentic in his experiences, in his opinions, and in how he feels about movement at large. So for the time being, go ahead and sit back, relax, tune in, and enjoy. John, why don't we start with this? If you could go ahead and just introduce yourself to our audience, um, 
what your work life entails, a little bit about what you're doing right now. And yeah, just feel free to like run with whatever comes to mind in the little bio for yourself. Okay. Um, so my name is John Sinclair. I am the director of, of programming for both the Institute of Motion and Viper Pro. I also serve as the co-owner of the Hive Performance and Health Coaching in Davie, Florida. I am the um, author and co-owner of a company called Seven Movements and MyTake7.com. And I spend most of my day actually coaching. So I'm on the floor coaching youth athletes and helping them basically as a, as I call it, sports engineering. So I break down uh, not only just the needs of what the athlete has, but what their sport is doing, how to break that down and provide long-term athletic development programs for young developing athletes and then longevity and sustainable programs for professional athletes, including consulting um, with Minnesota Vikings, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Washington Wizards, helping them incorporate Viper Pro into their programming. So I spend most of my days um, all around the idea of making people more efficient movers and coaching that movement efficiency um, through not only analyzing sport, but also breaking down the concept of analyzing and enhancing uh, performance under the umbrella of health. Yeah, I remember the context through which we met was through Institute of Motion. I actually attended level one where you were one of the educators there. I went there really to like gain more understanding around Viper Flow. And I remember walking away being just like totally in love with Institute of Motion as an organization, as an entity for several reasons. Number one, uh, the fact that it is really a health oriented company rather than uh, a training oriented company. And that the dimensions you guys look at health through and the different lenses you seek to address different health issues is really like quite remarkable for the industry at large. And then not only do you have that, but Institute of, of Motion is just such a incredible community of thoughtful, intelligent and passionate people. And I just, I remember that was such a impactful four days for me out in Solano Beach with you guys. And it, it totally changed the game for me as in my work as both a personal trainer and a health coach. Well, thanks. That means a lot to us because, you know, we started out with the company being about, you know, trying to educate people on personal training and the nerdy stuff about how the body works and stuff like that. And then it kind of evolved into us going, well, we really have more to say from a health perspective than from a fitness perspective. And so that's where we've really driven uh, the company around is creating preventative, long-term, sustainable, not only just programming, but education for not only for just individuals and to educate health coaches so they can help their clients. But now we're informing governments. We're working with insurance companies on instilling uh, new measures and new uh, programs that they can start to deliver not only to their citizens, but also to their customers. Yeah, I, I remember one of the exciting things I walked away with from that first uh, workshop was just to see the validity in movement as a medium, period, right? Where, in fact, in the variability and versatility that's inherent in the movements we do in our day-to-day lives, moving from point A to B or just, you know, activities of daily living, uh, learning about the relevance and importance of those. And then even within the context of training with Michelle's uh, 4Q model, I remember just being so blown away to be in a in an education space where it really wasn't just about only strength or, or only cardiovascular capacity or only uh, mobility, but rather taking a look at all the movement opportunities that exist before us and finding a way to get people to tap into as many of those as possible, depending on what their goals are and where their needs are at the same time. Yeah, I think you hit some massive key points there of what we, what we try to instill with not only just educating coaches, but who we tell day to day basis. And the reality is that most people are stagnant too much throughout the day and they lack variability. The challenge for us is to 
give them a voice and let them know that, you know, what doing physical activity and some random stuff is actually very healthy for you. Mm-hmm. And that in this today's society that's driven about you have to do this, what is better? Is this better than this? Is this what I should be doing? The reality is you need to do it all. Yeah. And so that's where um, I think where, where we need to kind of keep driving the conversation is in variability because variability is the key to health. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I would actually learn to love to learn a little bit more about your specific history and journey with movement over the course of your lifetime from like the first memory you have of being engaged with your physical body in some capacity and what were what were the leading factors that led you into different scopes of practice or different movement practices throughout your lifetime? Yeah. Um, well, for those that don't know me, I'm, I'm a Western Canadian. I'm a prairie boy. I grew up in a very small farming community um, in, central, in central Saskatchewan. So for those of you that don't know where the province of Saskatchewan is, it's right above Montana and North Dakota. And uh, we were in a farming community. So my first recollection really of of movement um, in terms of um, where I still have fond memories was running around the farmyard, you know, Mm -hmm. so out at my grandma and grandpa's and exploring play and jumping over fences and climbing on bale stacks and um, and then picking up baseballs and golf clubs and you know, going to the going to the baseball diamond with all my dad's baseball gear and throwing ball fence all day and putting on my skates and going to the rink because my dad had keys to the rink and skating all day long and and so those experiences were the things really drove me to studying sport. I was completely fascinated with not only just play but sport. Competing was you know I couldn't wait to get out of school so you could get your friends together and go play kickball or go play football and I was always trying to play with the older kids and my youngest brother who was five years younger than me was always playing with us and so as a community of you know less than 300 people um, that's how you entertained yourselves you know like tv was pretty boring back then <laughs> you weren't you couldn't really get captivated by television we only had two channels so um, we didn't have computers obviously at the time so for us play and us play and pretending we're in the military and running around with sticks and toy guns and <laughs> jumping over things and scaling walls and jumping off of roofs of houses was commonplace. Uh, raiding gardens, running through people's garden and grabbing a carrot and eating it and taking off, you know, and thinking that you're a bad guy. So it, it was just, it was a nonstop from morning till night experience of just wanting to run and play and compete in sports. And so um, that was pretty much my upbringing. I didn't want to be on the farm doing farm chores because that was boring. There was enough competition in it. Um, so, and it was, it was a job who wants to do that for work. Right. And yeah. so, um, I got heavily involved in sports in junior high school and high school in high school. I competed in nine different sports. Uh, I played baseball and hockey, uh, quite competitively. And then uh, it ju- I just knew that in grade nine, grade 10, that I wanted to study sport for a living. I wanted to go to university and study physical education. And that's what it, where it took me is playing all those sports and really hanging out with phys ed teachers all the time and going to their houses and chilling and learning about biology and then asking to spend more time in the gymnasium after school closed so I could work out. I was one of two kids that worked out in the whole school. Um, so it was just a massive um, opportunity for me to go to the University of Alberta and study sport performance and in the Faculty of Physical Education. And and so from there, I became a, um, my degree was in athletic therapy, sports psychology, strength and conditioning. So all the, the core principles of what we're doing today um, and the core concentrations of that. And uh, I got involved in working at a physical therapy clinic. I got to study and mentor under the head of the Canadian Physical Therapy Association. Um, I had some great mentors uh, that were chiropractors. I got involved in coaching hockey. I got involved in coaching power skating. And I got involved with a company called World Health Club uh, in the year 2000. I was the first personal trainer hired there when personal training was still pretty new. Um, And we started a, a 
developing a personal training program out of World Health. And uh, that lasted for 13 years. And so my career has kind of gone from there to being headhunted and recruited to move down to Davie, Florida, where I worked at a massive tennis uh, club called Midtown Athletic Club. Mm-hmm. Did that for a couple of years and then decided it's time to go on my own. And uh, so after accumulating a lot of um, education and knowledge over the past, you know, eight, I think at that point it was like 15 years, I decided to try my hand at running a facility and staying in the United States and getting a, having to get a green card so I could stay down here. And, and my wife and I decided, well, let's, let's stay in Florida and we'll try to make a run at it. And now we've got a successful studio and I'm partners in a bunch of different companies and a bunch of different uh, movement experience companies where we're coaching and consulting and life is grand because I get to now make a career out of, out of movement. Yeah. Well, what was it about like movement and, you know, playing around with sports and developing your athleticism that was so exciting to you, even as a teenager and as a kid? Yeah, I think the people that I looked up to, you know, when I was a kid, it was my dad first. He was a great athlete, good hockey player, excellent baseball player. Mm -hmm. And he passed away when I was 12. He was killed in a car accident. And so um, that kind of bond of being involved in sport and kind of looking up to him, I started looking to other athletes as being, you know, role models. Wayne Gretzky was my favorite player of all time in hockey. and uh, Kirby Puckett was my favorite baseball player growing up as a uh, in baseball. And, and I think just the connection of looking at sport and the excitement behind it. And I often joke, I said, I wasn't an exceptional athlete, but I was really good at everything. Mm. And uh, so I think because I played so many different sports and and was a leader on all the teams and all the sports that I did play, it made it that that was my livelihood. And so I think the connection that I got from it really stemmed from the role models that I had and just watching sport. Um, We had a running joke that uh, with my wife and I that, you know, you knew what you were getting into when you married me because the Sinclair family and and the Murray side of our family as well. Um, you can't go anywhere in a family event without a game being on TV, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> sports were just, it was farming and sports, and that was about all we had growing up. So, mm. You know, it's so interesting hearing that and also hearing a little bit of your history growing up. I, I, I mean, granted, I was raised like a few years after you in America when there was more than two uh, channels to watch on TV, but I, I just remember like all of my greatest memories in childhood were all about being outside and in yeah. relationship to like imagination and, and playing and, and being creative and, and in, you know, just like falling into your own world um, and having to dream up that world yourself. Like those, those are the, the memories I have the most deep of a connection to and think about the most warmly when I relate back to my childhood, especially, um, you know, growing up in Colorado and getting to take vacations out in the Rocky mountains and like live out of a tent for a few weeks at, at, at a time. Right. It was, I, I like yearn for those moments now. And, it, and it's funny to watch people raising children in the city, especially in New York. Um, and to watch these kids not get those experiences. And and those were always just so important for me. And I wonder what it's like to to not have that, you know, to not have that connection with your body where it's just like, yeah, I mean, this was exciting and it's what I love to do and I'm going to do it because, you know, most, most people don't have that kind of connection. Yeah, when we were growing up, I mean, play was, play was our babysitter. And because mm-hmm. I grew up in a small enough community that, you know, everybody knew everybody, which was kind of a good thing because you didn't want to be the bad kid in town. <laughs> so, of course, we would get into trouble. But, um, you know, you were disciplined by the next door neighbor. You were disciplined by the people, you know, a couple blocks down if you did something stupid. And um, But it usually happened because you were, you know, maybe trying to see how high you could swing on the swings. And then you leapt off of it and hit the ground hard and knocked all the wind out of yourself, you know. And so... Um, it was always just a, a, a chronic search for the unknown and just being curious. And so I think that, you know, our tagline with Institute of Motion has always been stay curious because I think that's where we as human beings do our best is when we ask questions and we seek 
And I truly believe that seeking through movement is our best way of actually learning. Yeah. And, and that curiosity and even that tagline, stay curious, has been one that I have uh, taken on with me in my own exploration and journey with movement since that moment of learning that. And it's been so, uh, I guess, it's just changed the game for me because for so long, even though I was very uh, connected to movement and explored it with it, like I did a ton of stuff with like dance and then later with personal training and different training modalities. But for me to allow curiosity to be the guide was one of the most important lessons I've ever taken on because it changes the nature and it changes the relationship of how you're interacting with your body. And then by extension of that, usually you end up engaging with stuff that is interesting or fun to you versus beating your body into submission with something that you believe you should be doing because people have said so or because there have been enough articles in the media around it. Yeah, and that's that's where the fitness industry industry is right now. And that's why I have a very hard time associating myself at all with the fitness industry is um, there's a right, there's a do this because this is better uh, mentality that's going on, which I think just propagates confusion. And it it creates um, not a very healthy perspective for those people that don't have a background in movement, and it makes it fearful for them to get started. I think those are the things that we have that I'm constantly exploring with people is is just to let them know that um, movement has to mean something to you, and there has to be a mental and, and emotional connection with that movement. And it's okay not to like something and not to do it again yeah. <laughs> because I'd re- it's like eating a cupcake. You know, if you're gonna eat a cupcake, don't feel bad about it. Like. <laughs> indulge you know <laughs> like take that sucker in and, and enjoy it for everything that it is and hey if you don't like cupcake eat some ice cream do something different but, but um the same philosophy for from my standpoint is the same thing with movement there are specific things you should do for a particular reason but you have to like that because there's a trillion different ways to get the job done when it comes to movement and exercise yeah and also like i think the context of why you're doing something is so vitally important because for most people, it's, you know, oh, I need to exercise to uh, work against all the, you know, tens of hours I spend trapped at my desk at work, or I should be exercising because it's good for me, or like, oh, I need to go into high intensity interval training to so I can get my six pack or so I can get some muscle tone. And, you know, to me, those are very uh, unsubstantiated links, because like you're saying, there's thousands of ways to get the same effect or to actually get the feedback you're looking for and to only fall into the one that seems most popular or prevalent in the moment. You're actually taking yourself out of the opportunity to have that more meaningful relationship with movement in a way that makes sense to you given where you're at and, and how you feel and what's going on in your life. Uh, around all of that. that that's perfectly said 100% you it has to happen and there's no way that we can get people to start moving if they are inundated with today's media and the direction that the fitness industry is going where everything is about high intensity and we're really running a dangerous uh, path right now um, because we're getting more and more people that don't want to get started because they're fearful of doing so and um, but giving people permission to not have to start in that way is where we need to go. And then to self-explore what does movement mean to you and why is it so important that you want to do it? Yeah, it's it's just so fascinating to me. And and, uh, and maybe you have this experience, too, as somebody who literally lived by connecting with her body. Like I, I say this so many times, but if it were not for my connection with movement, I don't know if I would have, I would even be where I am today because it was my lifeline through everything. It was my place to feel at home and my place to feel safe, my place to feel like myself. And so it's, 
it's always been strange to me. It's something I have a difficulty relating with. Um, you know, when people don't have that kind of connection or when they're struggling to create one, because for me, it's just always been so innate. And so I'm curious, because from your movement journey and given your scope of practice and your profession, it seems that you would have to also work with this a good amount on your end, too. Yeah. And so imagine if we're going to change an entire country's perception of health and perception of movement, how do you get started when eight, or I guess it's closer to 90% of that population doesn't actively um, engage in exercise, right? Mm -hmm. So they may do physical activity, but the measurement that we've often used is, well, do you attend a gym? Do you have a membership at a gym, right? And so the stat that we have is I think it's only 10 or 12% of the North American population actually have a gym. So if you're going to start to help people, we cannot meet them with fitness. Yeah. Cannot. Because that, that doesn't connect with them. So if they've never had a background in movement and they haven't had a background in sport, how do we get started? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to start from the health perspective. You can't start from a fitness perspective. You can't start from a sports per- perspective. And you can't let sport and fitness try to dictate what you're doing in health. And that's one of the things that we're starting to see with a lot of governments is that they will want to talk from the perspective of, well, this is what the elite are doing. This is what the elite military are doing. This is what the elite professional athletes are doing. This is what the med- medical um uh, insurance agencies want you to do. And the reality is, is that doesn't connect with people. Yeah. And so we have to find what's a time in your life when you were moving and really happy. Was it dancing? Was it walking your dog? Was it um, just going to the beach and going for a walk on the beach? What was that one thing that you recall truly finding the your authentic self while moving, right? And yeah. if you can find that, then you build from there. And that's how your exercise or your physical activity eventually becomes exercise. It evolves into something that's purposeful. And really the, the start of, of movement is really just to find, well, what, what is it about movement that speaks authentically about who I am and what makes me happier, lets me live the best version of myself? Yeah. And, you know, I think. Fitness is an interesting term because if you look up what it actually means, it's again, it's a relative term. It's a way of establishing like your fitness in relationship to what, right? Like to be able to play this sport, to be able to accomplish this physical activity, to be able to do this movement, right? And then fitness also has this association with like the industry, And as you mentioned earlier, right now, that industry is just all about high intensity and, you know, uh, pushing and no pain, no gain. And that's like predominantly what the rhetoric around it is. But I, I think this term movement becomes really powerful because movement is not as easily defined. In fact, I think what's been confusing within the fitness industry is that the term movement is becoming a little more trendy. It's starting to resurface. And because it is not as easily boxed in, there isn't as much of a dialogue or rhetoric shaping it. uh, People don't know what it means, which is actually the beauty, because if you're to make your own personal definition of movement, just as an individual, you start to see it, it. it crosses over into so many things automatically. And perhaps that's an extension of the English language in particular. But, you know, I love when you start to talk about movement, suddenly it becomes all inclusive, where it's, you know, it does include time with your pets or your family. It includes the time you spend like going out on walks with people or just activities of daily living. It includes your exercise. It includes your workouts. It includes really any way that you are engaging with your body to live your life. Yeah, 100%. And I think like for me, there's two parts to it. Number one is we have to come to the realization that movement really is life. And that if you cannot move, eventually you will die. Every biological system in the body functions based on movement. 
So if you are paralyzed from the neck down, your longevity is extremely shortened, mm. right? And so the challenge is my locomotive system, my neuromechanical system, if I don't have the ability to use it, your life will be shortened that, that quick, right? And so that becomes one of those things that becomes really scary, but at the same time lets us know that, listen, your organs, every system in your body functions when you move. When you stop moving, it ceases to function. And so when I define movement, I try to explain to people that it really just has to be a rhythmical transition from one position to another. Hmm. Because if I, and NASA is, is proving it that, you know, um, by getting up from your desk, just standing up at your desk and sitting back down is more effective than going for walks because you're j- changing your relevant position against gravity as opposed to when I'm walking, I'm walking through the field of gravity. Hmm. So in each case, those are really important things. So if I can rhythmically transition from one position and move to another position, which is essentially dance, right? If I can change my body's position and orientation relative to gravity and do it in a rhythmical fluid way, then that feeds energy to all the systems in the body. And so now we're talking health, right? And so by just moving for the sake of moving actually is a practice in preventative health. Yeah, I I know you and I've had a few conversations about this uh, when it comes to like corporate wellness, but, um, you know, how difficult it is to convince people of, you know, just moving to move, being relevant and some and in many cases, actually, like the best thing you could possibly do, uh, because there's such a resistance with it through this lens of and experience of fitness, like and things needing to be hard in order to be worth your time and effort. Uh, that people really shy away from, you know, simply stretching or getting up and down or, or allowing themselves to just move in whatever ways feel intuitive or natural to them. Uh, and it's, I, one of my biggest goals is to figure out how we can diminish that altered perception and switch it into a, way, a place and a, a commonplace way of living, not just in offices, but where people feel more empowered and autonomous and and allowing themselves to move for the sake of moving. Right. Well, if we were doing things correctly right now, we wouldn't have the problems that we're having right now. Right. Yeah. And so it comes to understanding that there's a continuum between preventative health and curative health, but there's also a continuum between stagnation or not moving and high intensity, steady state activity. Mm. Right. So when we look at that continuum, we realize that the closer I move to the right, if, if I drew a line and wrote high intensity, steady state, that the reality is, is, and the closer I move to the left, which is pure stagnation, in both cases, that affects my body's ability to function healthy. Mm-hmm. And so if I continue to do high intensity, steady state activity, the CrossFits, the orange theories of the world that where that is the only thing you're doing, you're actually shortening your longevity or your ability to sustain life for a long period of time. Now, that's really scary to think about because we actually don't have any metrics for that. But we do know that high intensity, steady state training signals between the cells, cellular death. Yeah. Whereas stagnation, and I'm not doing anything, well, we already know what that's like because we're seeing we're now being inundated with obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, those um, massive markers for a shorter life. And so we have to realize that it's fair to play in the middle there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's okay to lay on the couch and not do anything, yeah. right? That's actually a pretty good having a day off and allowing your body to not have to go through the rigors of moving is actually quite beneficial, right? Yeah. But if you're doing it every day, day after day, night after night, then we have a problem. Same thing if I follow the continuum the other way. So what we have to be okay with starting that conversation is to not say, don't do this. It's to say, play on that continuum. 
right? And that continuum is going to be many things. Now we changed that continuum into quadrants, right? Mm -hmm. And we built this quadrant system to allow people to now go at least have a more visual representation of all the type of movement that they could do in life. Yeah. And if they have that, then when they play in those different quadrants more frequently, the healthier they're going to become. And that had to be the first thing that we had to do was actually create a, um, a visual representation of where we currently are, where we need to go. And then what does that mean to you? Right. Yes. So that your preferences and your aspirations feed into the actual quadrant system, because if they, if your aspirations don't feed into it, then there's no point in actually moving. Exactly. in that quadrant if you actually hate it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love the quadrant system for exactly that reason. It gives you a opportunity to map out and to see where things are in context of where you're looking to go. So it gives you a moment to step back and observe and actually kind of qualify as well as quantify where your energy has been and like, is it in alignment? And it's so interesting to watch like my own 4Q model shift. And, and I've been playing around with creating a new one in context of creativity within a movement practice. And it, it's just, it's so fun to play around with, to give yourself that space to create a visual and to start figuring out where all the activities you are, are participating in lie along those continuums. And for me, the idea of, of the four quadrant system being a play on two continuums interacting has been really profound because it allows you to scale and it allows you to kind of slide along two sets of continuums relative to where you're looking to go. Precisely. Just such brilliant stuff comes from you guys at IOM. <laughs> uh, well, we're uh, career nerds, right? And so it's we have a lot of years of experience between the between the four of us, but I think the the exciting thing about what we're developing now is having relationships with um, with government and having relationships with um, industry leaders that allow us to be able to um, not only just come up with ideas, but we're pretty good at allowing people to you know break us down and and to challenge the way we're thinking because. As you know, and a lot of the other folks that have come to our mentorships, each mentorship is different every time <laughs> because we, we value um, the feedback that we get from other coaches mm -hmm. and where the industry is going and we have to evolve. And so that's why we, we seem to be changing a lot of our perspectives, a lot of our, not necessarily our methodologies, but how we anchor those methodologies into uh, practical purposes. And those change uh, from day to day and from week to week and year to year. So uh, that's the challenge for us from an education standpoint is to still make sure that everything stays relevant, but that we create tools that uh, make that relevancy um, more tangible for the mm -hmm. end user. Yeah. So such good stuff. So this is actually a great lead in uh, to my next question for you. I think you actually, you kind of answered it a little earlier, but this at least gives you an opportunity to give us something uh, more specific and more clear and focused. What does movement mean to you and how would you define it? Yeah. So for me, I think, you know, part of it is just, you know, defining it as a rhythmical transition from one position to another. So um, because I spend most of my time in, in engineering sport and enhancing performance for athletes within their given sport, uh, movement is the foundation and it is the central cog of everything that they do. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, we kind of have this running yeah. joke that athletes are the, and especially professional athletes, they are the epitome of making really terrible movement look good. Mm. Uh, and so they are super talented at their sport, but from a movement standpoint, they're not very efficient. And so that's where my job comes in is to help take some of these athletes and help take some of these aspiring uh, professional athletes and help them become more efficient and more economical. Um, because we can take a, you know, 300 pound lineman who can bench press, you know, 500 pounds and can 
squat 600 pounds and then I give them a six kilogram Viper and we can make them look really silly with it (laughs) because a lot of their motor programming has been set for so long and they've repeated the same type of uh, foot drills and the same type of hand drills and the and been weight training in the same way for so long that you ask them to do something outside of the norm and they trip over themselves. And so it really becomes, and, and that's normal. That's, that's totally normal. You ask a marathon runner to side shuffle, they're going to feel really awkward doing it because the nervous system is in tune to what they do best every day, which is running in a straight line. So mm-hmm. the idea is to constantly, um, challenge these athletes but also make it so that they're more efficient and more effective at what they're doing yeah and the pipeline of of professional sport is through and the major sports comes through college and and now college sport has been less about i believe less about leadership and and learning how to work as a team and to now being a conduit to professional sport so and winning and getting money for the athletic department and those kinds of things are really kind of hampering the athletic development of these individuals. So my job being in the private sector of sport is to help coaches understand that their programming actually has a massive effect. And if they choose to continue to train these guys in a linear environment with low compressive load on their body that you are shortening their careers. And so we have to communicate efficiently and effectively to the athletes and let them know that movement really is the foundational aspect of all sport. And you have to become a better mover before you can become a better athlete, before you can become a better player. And that's the biggest challenge that I have is communicating to coaches that way. Cause most head coaches in the industry are not um, like head coaches of a sports team yeah. are not schooled uh, the way we are. And so the challenge is that their, their power positions that they hold um, don't have any background in movement. So how do you coach alignment to play their position if you don't understand biomechanics, if you don't understand bioenergetics, if you don't understand even the most simplest understanding of how a joint functions. Mm-hmm. And that becomes something we, we really truly struggle with at this level in the private sector is we have to help them relearn everything. So we have to take them in the off season. We know that we plan ahead of time. So if we're taking a football player, we plan a professional football player, your goal is to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And you have to work that plan all the way back to day one as though they've never even moved before. Wow. And so now what I'm doing is I'm building long-term athletic development programs for that incorporate from birth all the way to retirement after sport and into, you know, transitioning from sport performance into health. Mm-hmm. And so those are the programs that I write now as a, super geeky engineer nerd and um, try to put together and help illustrate that for parents because this is their movement journey starts in early childhood and a lot of the problems we see today are as a result of not having the environment for kids to express themselves with movement yeah i i had a similar experience uh in the pre-professional and then subsequently the professional dance circuit i think i was attuned to this a little earlier than most kids because i started getting injured around the age of 17 um and not and i had like some pretty debilitating ones and meanwhile i'm theoretically doing everything the same as everyone else and i'm the only one falling apart and there wasn't a whole lot of information support or strategy around recovery usually the predominant feedback was, well, just do what you can or, you know, move through the pain. And um, after actually taking the route of personal training and health coaching and learning the biomechanics and, and learning the joint function and patterning and diving into that, I was just kind of baffled to look back at, at the system and the way it worked when I was growing up. And also to see what's happening with these pre-professional dance communities now where, 
if you if you're watching what happens in the entertainment sphere with dance especially with like all the new tv shows that are blowing up and like all the performances you see around pop artists and you know music videos it's just getting way more extreme rigorous and increasingly like circus athletic driven and yet right. the support for to like create a biomechanically sound system and body and and even like parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, none of that is there because that's never been there and they haven't built it in. And I'm, I'm watching kids, you know, learning, like getting ready to go out and pursue professional careers, 18 year olds whose biomechanics and joint functions in their feet is, is so dysfunctional. It's a miracle that they're even able to jump or turn or do anything at all because you can literally see I mean, the, it's it's just completely out of alignment and they are injured and they are suffering. But there's also this predominant belief that, you know, as a dancer, I only have a shelf life until my mid 20s, early, like maybe until I'm 30. And that's just how it is. So I have these, you know, 12 years to hustle as hard as I can and hope that my body doesn't break down in that time. Yeah, it's it's uh, and it happens at all levels and all sports. And I was really blown away by um, the prevailing attitude towards sport when I moved to South Florida, because the environment allows you to play the same sport year round. Yeah. And where it becomes now it's about money. And so people are driven around, you know, we've got kids that are going to showcase after showcase so that scouts hopefully notice them and they tell them, this is what you need to do. And this is how much money you need to spend to come to this. So you get an opportunity to be seen. And these Kids do not get an opportunity to rest. Wow. So believe it or not, people are paying me to come see me so that I can do re- active recovery for them <laughs> because mm. they don't have another opportunity to do it. And so they'll come in and I might have the idea of this is some of the speed work we're going to do. And I look at their face and I'm like, you're not doing speed today. You yeah. don't have it. Yeah. So we're going to have to do active recovery. And they're, well, I really want to do speed. I'm like, sorry, it would be um, completely... Um, silly of me and darn right you know i'd be liable for hurting you if i put you in that environment right now yeah and so especially when i know better because i'm not providing the right duty of care for you at this moment in time and so that's what's happening and ironically head coaches have that power right we see it in college sports today where um therapists trainers head coaches head strength and conditioning coaches are beating the hell out of kids and uh and we've seen kids die from it right and there's no accountability for it Mm. and or very little accountability you know if that happened in the private sector we'd be in jail you know and so these guys may lose their job and so it becomes this thing where we have to really look at sport we got to look at movement and really break it down into its you know main component parts and that is listen we're dealing with a biological system that we think we've got a pretty good idea how it how it functions. I think some of the best people in the world really know, but a whole lot of us don't know. <laughs> and and that becomes the real challenge is that the consumer certainly doesn't know. And um, most of the professionals also don't know. And that becomes a really hard thing. It really does. There's a beauty in being able to just surrender to the fact that we won't know, right? I I think the the problem with learning and knowledge, especially if you are not really uh, continuing that expansion of your own knowledge, and like you said, IOM is always going through an evolution because what's out there is evolving. What people need is shifting. I mean, you have to be willing to adapt. And um, it's interesting when you're using these contexts of the system, whether it's pre-professional sports or dance, but these systems are all systems that don't really evolve. In fact, they kind of, they they tend to stay stuck in what always worked 10, 20, 30 years ago. And um, and they treat the information that they have from back then as though it is still relevant today and and I, I always find it so fascinating because I think if you're willing to let go of the fact that you're never going to know everything, and in fact, the more you know, the less you know, for me, that was the most liberating thing to just to know everything I had 
experienced and practiced and assimilated with my knowledge intake. And then to be open to the fact that that could change with the next piece of information comes in or when that next experience comes to fruition. I think what you said is, is fascinating because most people don't have the capacity to let go of their ego or they haven't been given permission to. Hmm. And in some cases, we need our mentors, we need other people around us to be humble enough to give one another permission to let go of your ego. Because sometimes ego makes it harder for us to change our viewpoints or our belief systems. And I think what we, what I'm really excited about being involved with the companies that I am involved with is that we heavily scrutinize everything that we do. And, and we actually reward scrutiny. And you, you have to in this industry because from a coaching perspective, you're constantly being scrutinized mm-hmm. you're, and you have to be okay with that. I mean, if, if you're, if the kid isn't performing as well as they need to be, you're going to be scrutinized. And that requires you to have to go back to the drawing table and find out what works and what doesn't work for that individual. And if you try to stick to one methodology and one way of doing something, um, I had a good mentor that, used to say all the time, you're just peeing in the wind. You don't know what you're going to hit, but you're going to hit something. And hopefully that one way is going to work for that one kid, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're not willing to adapt on the fly, you're not going to have a very long career in this industry. And I think that's partly why we, we struggle keeping coaches. I mean, you know, if you can't, can't lead, uh, lead a client, um, and can't lead from behind and let them set their own expectations and let them set their own journey, you're going to have a hard time in this, in this career as being a professional coach or movement professional. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it at the professional level. How can, you know, the National Football League is like the epitome of having a coaching job in, uh, in professional sports, yet nine guys in the last two years, nine guys at the end of the season have lost their jobs each season. So, I mean, it, it goes to show you that um, one way of doing things isn't necessarily going to work all that well. And you have to be willing to take scrutiny and be able to adapt on the fly if you want to be successful at any level. Yeah. Yeah. That adaptation is key. I mean, it's a key component of our evolution and that continues even in the work we do. So um, I'm going to take us into a final question before we start to wrap things up, John. Uh, What has been the greatest gift that movement has given you? I think the prevailing and obvious answer is that it's given me a career to do what I get to do best every day, which is hang out with people and coach and Mm -hmm. and have movement in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people have... um, maybe things that they truly enjoy and that becomes their hobby and their passion and their love. And that's, that's what they want to spend all their time doing. Um, for me, it's coaching and sport and health. And this is something that I've, you know, was able to connect to at such a very young age that now I get to make a career out of it. And I get to do what I do best every day, which is put some, glorified looking pajamas on and go hang out in the gym all day long you know (laughs) And, and, and when I'm trying to be serious I get to talk on a podcast about the glories of movement and and the glory days there was a old saying all the time of uh the older I get the better I was my stories keep getting better how awesome I was the older I get you know and so when I share those experiences with with uh with some of the younger guys I I let them know that you know I'm going to keep working to move because there's there's no way I'm ever going to let you kids outmove me. And I'm going to stay faster than you and I'm going to be more efficient and I'm going to be more economical. Mm. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be more powerful. I'm not going to let you guys kick my butt. Right. <laughs> and so it's it's been that environment of, you know, for me, the competition is not letting these guys outrun me, these little 15 year old buggers that are super fast. I'm like, Oh my goodness, I got to try and keep up with this kid. Mm. So it's been um, a lifelong passion that becomes revealed every day. And geez, you know, I get paid really well for it. So yeah, such a blessing. And I love that, you know, I mean, you know, this because you are a professional in the industry, you have all these deep connections with it, but that you don't let the number of your age get in the way 
And I just bring this up because it's a it's another prevailing belief and judgment I feel like I'm having to battle against all the time in my work, which is just because you're getting older doesn't mean things start breaking down, right? I think the breakdown comes as a reflection of what you have not been paying attention to. Ooh, that is powerful. Uh, and sometimes I pay attention to too many things that are the wrong things. That, that's the bane of having more and more knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I've been suffering for back pain in quite some time. I, I decided to become uh, to try Olympic weightlifting in competition in my mid-30s. And that was uh, a real challenge. Mm-hmm. It was fun. My friends were doing it, so I thought I would do it. But uh, now I'm suffering the consequences of not having a lot of space in my in my uh, lumbar spine and in and around my pelvis. And um, so I try doing all kinds of things to make sure that I can correct that. And I think the smarter that I am that, you know, I've got all these really cool techniques I can use and tissue work things I can do to create some space and help with my mobility. And then the other day I was like, wait a minute, you haven't done a simple flexion exercise in a long time. Why don't you just do some? <laughs> crunches on a Swiss ball. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that this week and I haven't had pain in a week and a half. So I'm like, you know, I think sometimes knowledge is our, is a bit of a, you know, antithesis to actually um, getting what you want. So by listening to your intuition, I think is a massive thing. And I think you hit the nail right on the head is that most people know what, if they move and they feel good, it's pretty good for them. They move bad and it doesn't feel so good, not so good for them. And we get caught up in all the minutia of things uh, the more we know. So um, thank you for hitting on that because it's going to resonate with me further and further now that I'm um, now that I'm trying to stay young. Keep up with these. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I I'm glad I could offer that nugget of inspiration. I mean, you you've always <laughs> you've always um, you just helped expand my knowledge and my experience of being a professional and being the best professional I can be. And so I'm honored to know you, John, and I am so grateful that you were willing to come and have this conversation with me on here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And anytime you want to bring me back on, I'd be happy to chat some more. We'll definitely have to do that. But as we wrap up, if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave, with their audience, feel free to share. Yeah, I think, you know, the the future of our planet um, and our ability to connect with it is going to be huge and hugely vital going forward. Um, When we talk about long-term athletic development, we're really talking about trying to create resilient, healthy human beings. And from a uh, standpoint of letting our children experience what movement is i think the less structured that we that we become in trying to create those environments for kids and letting them have the opportunity to self-discover and learn and play and fail and reward failure i think that will set up our our future of movement and our our future educators of movement uh, to help us really live long healthy happy lives and and to create um I think the the future that we know we can have, but not be fearful of going after it and and leading, you know, our folks with physical education and and health. I think we have the capacity and we definitely have the money to be able to create those opportunities for our children. We just have to be willing to step through that door of um, of challenge and be willing to change. And that's the, you have to be both ready and willing to change. And I think we're at the point now where we have to be both ready and willing to change at this time. Yeah, it's it's going back to adaptability, right? That's it's the inherent uh, thumbprint of our evolution. So to allow ourselves to really step into it, embrace it, and let that be a prevailing element in our lives. 100%. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's a wrap. We got it.
Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move. <laughs>